Pastoring Out Loud, where we recap the previous week's sermon. I don't really have an acronym, but for this particular text, it would probably be some like wretched, endless, capricious. Uh, um, <laughs> you know, wretched starts with the W, at, right? I do. I just wanted to go phonetic and pragmatistic would be the description of much of what happens in Genesis 29. Dave, you preached. Surprising. You don't preach often. (sighs) Anyways, there we are. How was it? Ah, there we are. In an area, not an area, (laughs) an ara. Um, Your pronunciations of the wing feather stuff was apparently okay, despite what I've heard from other people. I don't know. I just wish people would come to me directly with hard stuff like that and mm. not go around <laughs> talking about me to other That's pastors. Fine. You're a public figure. People talk about you. You have mm. to deal with it. Mm. Just part of, That's right. part of life. Good enough to be faithful. Not good enough to be whatever it was. That you famous. Said. Famous. That's what it is. Be famous. Nick's here too. Hi. Hi, Nick. So Dave, why don't you recap the sermon for us? Give us uh, an overview of Genesis 29. Yep. So uh, I'll just say that kind of Genesis 29 lives in the the good shadow of Genesis 28 in a way, in that, and that's what you preached on a couple of weeks ago in terms of God promising to be with Jacob and, uh, and the same people, place, presence that we keep seeing throughout Genesis, but kind of with this particular reality of the the gate of heaven open to him, which is, I think, God's way of saying, I'm going to be with you, my favors towards you, um, and, and I'm going to uh, continue to be with you no matter where you end up. And so we talked about the beginning of chapter 29. Jacob's got a bit of a skip in his step with God's promises in front of him and his presence with him. And uh, I think the first point, I think I, I, think I call it God gives. Um, and Verses 1 to 14 are really Jacob showing up in Haran and uh, Haran. Thank you. Yeah, I knew I did it on purpose. <laughs> I see what you Aaron. did. <laughs> did you see my eye twitch? Uh, I did, I did. <laughs> um, and uh, he shows up and there's some shepherds there and he asks about his uncle Laban if he's, if he's still around and kicking and doing well. And they say, yeah, he is. And his daughter comes up who's a shepherdess and uh so then jacob goes and moves this massive rock all by himself which as i was reading stuff people said normally it took three or four people so this is kind of like his heroic hey rachel moment how how do you like me now and then he um (laughs) how you doing (laughs) i wasn't gonna say that but sure yeah, should have so titled then, the sermon "Swole Promises for <laughs> Swole Mates." <laughs> oh, I don't like when you land one well. <laughs> that was good, but he. Uh, I got to get going here. This is taking a long time. I'm like meandering. So then he runs up to Rachel and he introduces himself and kisses her and tell, starts crying because I think he's so Which overwhelmed. probably a romantic, not a romantic gesture. I don't think it's a romantic yeah. gesture. I think it's he's overwhelmed <clears throat> with God's promises. She represents that God is going to keep his promise to be with him. Um, and, and the whole thing kind of reminds us of what happened back in Genesis 24 when a servant gets sent to find Isaac's wife from the same place. 
And I just pointed out that the difference, I think, is that the servant is prayerful and waits on the Lord and kind of lets God do most of the action. Whereas Jacob, like we've seen him do over and over again, kind of takes it into his own hands. And I think sets his heart on Rachel in a way that's not how he should have in this moment without trusting God and waiting, which I think sets him up for heartbreak and to be deceived later on. Yeah. So then verses 15 to 30 is where it gets kind of ugly and gross. And he goes and he meets Laban and Laban lets him stay for a month as uh, his family member. And, uh, and then basically says, Hey, what, what kind of wages do you want for working for me since your family? And I think Laban already knows, think he's seen Jacob, I and Rachel probably for this month that they've been there. And he says, I would like, you know, I'll work for seven years for Rachel, which is about two or three times the amount of a normal uh, bride price, basically, at, in that culture. And so he's he's all in. So he works the seven years, seemed like but a few days to him because of his love for Rachel. Uh, and then he finally, but then he gets very direct because Laban's probably dragging his feet, doing his Laban thing that we'll see Laban continue to do, uh, who's tricky and deceitful and opportunistic, just like Jacob has been. And... Uh, so then Jacob says, Hey, give me my wife. It's been seven years. It's time for me to have my wife and consummate this marriage with her. And so they, they throw the big feast. And, uh, at the end of the first day of the feast, it was the custom that that would be when the man and woman came together. And then the rest of the week would be kind of like a party celebrating their marriage. And in that moment in, in darkness and, uh, and probably some intoxication, uh, Laban sneaks Leah into the tent with Jacob uh, instead of Rachel, which just reminds us again of what just happened with Jacob and Esau, how Jacob disguised himself, yeah, I put, on, a good point. put on animal skins and had this intimate betrayal with his father. Here's another intimate betrayal. And uh, yeah, and, and so now he has a wife uh, that is not the one he wanted. And I just made the point, you know, I think Laban is sinful here, obviously deceitful and tricking Jacob and he, he tries to justify his sin, which is what we do. We're not walking with the Lord as we, we, he says, well, in our culture, you know, the, basically the, the older doesn't serve the younger here. We give away the older first, which is ironic as well, because that's what Jacob just tricked his father into doing was to have the younger serve the earth or have the older serve the younger in a sense. And so, uh, Jacob says, basically, fine, I'll work another seven years uh, for Rachel. He kind of takes Laban up on it. I think in that moment, Jacob's sinful as well. I think he's following the desires of his own heart. I think he should have paused and said, okay, well, this is obviously the wife that God has for me who's going to keep this promise that he made to me. And I'm going to love her as bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. And But his heart's already way out in front of him and his desires are way out in front of him. And like he does, he goes, okay, I'm going to take this into my own hands and so he works another seven years and, you know, it's hard to imagine that he could have thought the whole two sister wife thing was going to go well long-term. Um, but he, he does that. Uh, and I, I made the point that it does not say that the next seven years seemed like only a few days to him. Right? My guess is that there's a lot of frustration and anger we see built up towards Laban and the whole thing. And I think we see that in upcoming chapters I think so. I think Laban's going to bear the consequences for his sin. I think Jacob's going to bear consequences for his sin. And I think in all this, God is also working to refine Jacob, to hold up a mirror and say, this is what you've been like. You've been a deceiver. You've been opportunistic. You've been a manipulator. You've used people. 
and now it's happening to you. Um, but we see then point. So that, I think that point I called man takes that God gives man takes and, um, God prevails, I think was point three. And that was just really looking at verses 31 to 35 to see that, uh, God blesses the unfavored one in Leah, who I think, I think that's meant to show us God's going to do it his way. Man's way is not going to prevail, but God's way is going to prevail. And I think that we see God even change Leah's heart there, who has been scorned and put off because by the fourth child, that's Judah, she says, I will praise the Lord. Um, and so she's finally saying, okay, God's presence and his, his seeing me is enough, even when my husband is distant and doesn't see me. And then we see as we unpack Genesis and then we unpack all the way to Revelation that Jesus... Stealing thunder. It's all right. Jesus. What, what thunder am I stealing? I'm, I'm preaching Genesis 49. That's fine. You're gonna, you'll right. get to do a long treatment of it. We see that Judah is the, is the promised offspring king who's going to finally bring God's people into God's place to enjoy God's presence fully and freely and forever. So God still prevails and he works his promises. And that means that we no longer are identified by either the things we've done or the things done against us, but we're identified by the blood of Jesus if we're in Christ. So if you had a great recap, thanks Dave. And you know, it got better as it went on. I, I was twitched. slow in the beginning. I twitched when you started saying Genesis and then you said revelation on Sunday morning. Uh, thanks for that. Appreciate it. Yeah. Um, the text talks about, again, we're talking about descriptive prescriptive. Mm -hmm. So it describes some things, prescribes others. Mm -hmm. You went beyond what's prescribed and made a judgment call and said, I think that Jacob should have done X. Mm -hmm. Because at the end of the story, he's going to have four women he slept with and have 12 children with them. Yeah. Two of them as wives, two of them as concubines <clears throat> or something to that effect. Um, how, so if there's a preacher who's like, they preach the same passage and they're not, they're, they're perhaps more talking in terms of the lack of wisdom in this. They're not saying that it's necessarily a sin for him to take an additional wife. How would you respond to a preacher that would say that? Let's say sure. Let's say sure. Is that a very, like a, a okay way to take this text? At very least, saying it's less than ideal. Look at all the trouble that come that comes from it. Yeah, I, th I think I think you could say that. Um, I, a lot of the uh, some of the commentaries I read said something like I did. Some of them, the ones I struggled with most, were the ones that said kind of like, "Oh, poor Jacob," you know, like, "Oh, look at this." But now he finally right. gets what's what he deserves. Right. I don't think that. I think I'd say I think that's wrong. I yeah. think that uh, that's uh, looking at it without any. Uh, context of what, you know, it's, so it's not just Genesis one and two, which is where I went, mm -hmm. but I think we see that it wasn't the way it was supposed to be with Hagar. You know, sure. we see oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. it wasn't the way it's supposed to be in so many cases that I think the, I guess what I'd say is I think Genesis one and two are pretty prescriptive for what a marriage is supposed to be. Mm -hmm. um, and therefore I think you could say, well, maybe it was different. Maybe he didn't understand but I think that I would say it's wrong. I think yeah. you're, yeah, I think sinful. you're on pretty sure footing to say, based on the rest of scripture, yeah, having multiple wives is sinful. I, th I think the reason that 
some don't go there is because it de- it feels like in the story like Laban's the real trickster here and like mm-hmm. he's the one who did the worst thing. Mm-hmm. But I don't think that gives an excuse to just go then do whatever you want. Sure. If that makes yeah. sense. Yeah, that doesn't let remember, J- Jacob off the hook. Yeah, I can't remember. I may have not preached this part or removed it. But when talking about Esau and his various wives, certainly the biblical narrator it, you know, takes pains to emphasize people like Lamech getting multiple wives. Yeah, uh, isn't know, that the first time that, that shows Esau up? Esau gets multiple wives, Ishmael gets multiple wives, um, and he more pumps the brakes about the other various people. Like Abraham's, you know, Sarah dies, then Abram, Abraham mm-hmm. takes a wife. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the that that clearly for Jacob, it wasn't his original intention to just go and get every woman available to him. Right. He wanted one person who he loved. So whatever you might say about, uh, you know, the permissibility of this, like I've heard, I've heard some commentators talk about this, like divorce in Israel, never ideal, never the thing that was going to happen, but because of the hardness of your hearts, Hmm. Moses gave uh, the permission, whatever scale you can say, I think the biblical narrator is taking pains to say there's trouble afoot when polygamy is, yeah. Yeah, I mean, when you read of someone taking multiple wives in the narrative, ought you have Lamech ringing in your ears? I think to some degree. Yeah. Yeah. To some degree for sure. And I think even the, I think even the, I think it's interesting that the promised line uh, comes through the original wife. Yep. I think that that, that's, comes through Leah, yeah, and Rachel, yeah, and in a sense, um, and I, yeah, and again, like I said in the and I said in the sermon, I don't I don't put a lot on Leah or Rachel because I think in that culture they were largely along for the ride, yeah. Um, but I think Jacob had the ability to stop and say, "I got tricked. Learn my lesson. Going to be a faithful husband now and trust God to keep His promises." And he said, "I still want Rachel." Last uh, last question I have before. Nick, you got any questions? Is this the hardest chapter to preach in Genesis? Do you think there are others that are uh, just to preach? I'm talking about like harder to like parse out the cultural things and everything that's going on. Are there darker chapters than this in Genesis? Yeah, I think there's a couple that get darker. I think chapter 30 is actually a little bit more strange, even culturally. The one you're about to preach. Yeah. yeah. So it's, it's, a, str- it's a string of weeks here that's... <laughs> It's a little, With, uh, it's, a, it's a, kind of looking at it like, huh, going to be a interesting month and a half of preaching here. Um, yeah. But I think, you know, that's why I tried to start this one by saying the God who's with us is the God with us in the mess. Yeah, yeah, so I yeah. think that's the story of Genesis yeah, at this yeah. point. Yeah. And, and I think, so may, maybe a, a theme verse, not to steal more thunder. Genesis 50, 20. Yeah, yeah. 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 What, 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 God, what you mean for evil, God means for good. Uh, God yeah. turns for good. In yeah. this text. Yeah. Yeah. Great. Nick, you got anything? Nope, it's all good. All right. Dave, thanks for preaching. Looking forward to the rest.